Infirmary Media. MyBookie.ag slash Sportsbook is the go-to destination for sports betting. As America's most trusted sportsbook, MyBookie is simply the most accurate source for odds information, analysis, and wagering opportunities on the Internet. Take your bets beyond the sports world with entertainment bets like the next James Bond, the next Green Lantern, and more. So what are you waiting for? Open your account today with MyBookie Sportsbook and start winning with the best the industry has to offer. Just visit mybookie.ag slash sportsbook now. Start. Poop culture. Yeah, yeah, poop culture. Poop, 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 poop culture. Yeah, it's the poop culture. Poop, poop culture. People engage in stuff for dueling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Poop culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Fan of ballet and sick Iron Maiden GNR. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Broadcasting live on digital delay from the Bio Bidet Studios, where water always does it better. Greetings, Retro Warriors, and welcome to another episode of Dueling Decades here on Poop Culture, the game show that locks the 80s and the 90s inside of a steel cage, pokes them with a stick just to see what happens. Let's take a look at the teams and the decades they'll be fighting for. First off, it's the team of Bojo Nixon. Hello, my name's Bo Beecraft. I'm playing for Team Bojo Nixon alongside my partner, Joe Finley. Hi, Joe. Hey, everybody. I'm Joe Finley from Bojo Nixon. I'm here to get revenge from the last time I lost and maybe find some love. Versus the team of the Mama Lukes. Yes, that's right. We're back. I'm back in the groove with the 80s again. I'm Rick Mancrush, and we're ready to roll here. And as always here on Dueling Decades, to hold down law and order, it's the Honorable Judge John Cross. I'm going to judge you like Reinhold, baby. (laughs) All right, so the rules of the game are simple. A coin flip will decide which team goes first. The winning team will decide the topic of each round out of the five Dueling Decades categories. And those are movies, television, music, news, and a hot product. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five being worth two points apiece. The judge ruling will determine who wins each round, and the winning team and decade will be decided at the end with the team with the highest overall score after five rounds. Gentlemen, let's play some Dueling Decades. All right, and before we get started, uh, if you guys are new to this game, obviously this is part of the Poop Culture Podcast but we've actually started a RSS feed just for Dueling Decades. So what we're going to do bi-weekly is we're going to have the game up, and then we're going to have another episode come on. We're not too sure what the other episode is going to be every month, though, but if you go over to our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, you'll see all the information there, and eventually the website will be up as well. So let's get going. Over to John Cross for the ceremonial (laughs) toss-off. I, you, you should know by now that when I toss off, it's incredibly ceremonial. I wear the, I wear the required robes and crown. However, um, <laughs> rushing in here tonight to record this, I grabbed, uh, it didn't come out in September of 80, unfortunately, but it is from the year of 1980. Uh, it is the airplane movie. So, uh, we've got 
heads will be the front of the airplane disc. Uh, tails will be the uh, back of the airplane disc. Uh, gentlemen, please call heads or tails. Uh, is it Jobo going first? That's yeah. right. Go ahead, Joe. You call it in the air. I'm going to call it? Okay, I'm calling tails. All right. And it's heads. Sorry, oh, guys. Heads. Mm. I've already blown it. Joe, you might as well just fucking leave now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's been good seeing you guys. I'm out of here. All right. So now that we know what teams are going first and who's playing the game, there's only one piece of the puzzle left to divulge, and that are what the decades will be. And the Mama Lukes will be going up with September of 1980 versus Team Bo Joe Nixon, and they will take September of 1990 this evening. I I just also think, though, that you should have like a little uh, jingle that should just be like, what the decades? I don't know. Just me. Doing <laughs> <laughs> decades. What do you think? Television? Yeah, let's go television. Let's start out television. All right. I'll let you uh, start out with yours first because I'm I'm curious. All right. Well, as we know, the 80s is always packed with such good content. The 80s never lets us down. But you know what? September proved to be the redheaded stepchild of all months of the 1980s. And I really don't think the 1980s had started yet in September of 1980. It was kind of left over from the 70s. Well, they started in January. There was something boiling all towards the end of the 1970s that really affected television. And that was the actor's strike of 1980. And it severely affected television as the networks had nothing left for programming that wasn't reruns, except for a few TV shows like the one I have selected tonight. And that is Shogun, starring Richard Chamberlain, epic television miniseries that was on in September of 1980. So at the Golden Globes, Shogun cleaned house. Winner for best performance by an actress in a television movie series. Best performance by an actor in a television series. Winner, Richard Chamberlain, as well as best television series overall. And again, also won all the same awards at the primetime Emmys. So that is my selection for TV, the epic miniseries Shogun, still to this day, if you look up any list of the greatest miniseries in history, Shogun is always in the top ten. And uh, big things in the horizon for Richard Chamberlain after this, getting picked up by uh, Canon Films to be in what series? Wasn't he Alan Quartermain? Yes, yes. he was Alan Quartermain. Alan Quartermain. The Indiana Jones ripoff with Sharon with Stone. Sharon Stone. <laughs> God-awful series. I don't know if that was a stepping stone from Shogun or a step back. No, it was a Sharon Stone. He just said definitely a step. That wasn't back. so much as a step back. That was like a that was like a stumble, fall, and crash down into a well. I think <laughs> <laughs> it did get a sequel though, but it was canon, so everything got a sequel. Right. Um, all right. So with mine, like he said, I had to go digging, and I dug deep for this one. So on September twenty seventh, nineteen eighty. On the Georgia Championship Wrestling television show, fans were wowed by the television debut of wrestling icons, the fabulous Freebirds. Uh, Bo's nice. nodding his head. Uh, <laughs> mean Street USA. Yes. One of the best mic workers of all time, Michael Hayes delivered an epic promo for the two. And uh, the other two uh, Freebirds, rather, were right next to him. You had Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts. Uh, this debut spawned. The Freebirds' 15-year run, 28 world championships in different federations, 
an election to the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame and the WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, if you watch his very first promo that he cut here, it puts current wrestlers to shame. And this was their first on-air promo, and this guy killed it. And then they had their match. Uh, But the one thing that they were known for that still takes place today with different tag teams, it's something that was called the Freebird Rule. Bo is nodding his head again, knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Both tag teams are comprised of two people. Well, the Freebirds were comprised of three people. So they would interchange what second person was on the tag team and what the uh, the team was going to look like that night. And the Freebird rule has been utilized by countless tag teams over the years. I think I found like a list of over 50 online. And many different organizations have also used the same thing. I, I think it's actually used today in WWE. I think the Shield uses it. Am I correct? Uh, the New that? Day is actually the ones who brought back that rule being reinstated. All right. And the do the Wyatts use it? I don't believe they did. My last experience with it was like was Axe Smash and Crush for Demolition. Yes, that was one that was on there as well. Um, and how can you dislike wrestlers who originally entered the ring to Leonard Skinner's Freebird? They also entered uh, to Willie Nelson's Georgia on my mind at some point. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and it's it's amazing because if you look at it, these guys brought that rock and roll presence to wrestling in the early 80s that kind of revolutionized not only just the tag team wrestling portion, but regular uh, 80s wrestling as well, as you saw throughout the decade. Every time we talk about the 80s and wrestling, we always talk about the rock and wrestling era and how big that was. This was way before. This started rock and wrestling before there was a rock and wrestling. Yep, that's right. And if you think back, even before these guys, a lot of wrestlers didn't even come out to any music. And if they did, it was just like some, you know, royalty free shit. Ragtime. You know, nothing like uh, <laughs> nothing like Freebird. <laughs> no. I would watch wrestling. I would watch wrestling if all the wrestlers came out to ragtime. That that would be entirely <laughs> my kind of wrestling. Ragtime wrestling, and they all come out in big, thick tweed shorts and uh jaunty hats. <laughs> that would be my wrestling. You laugh, but didn't they try that not too long ago, Bo, with the vaudevillians? Yep, that lasted a whole cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) See? I'm so behind the times. I have to uh, correct myself. I said Mean Street. It was actually Bad Street, USA. I'm ashamed of myself. Bad Street, USA. And and he actually, Michael Hayes, performed that song on his own. Quite terribly uh, at the Hall of Fame ceremony, (laughs) by the way. All right. Well, he's he's a little long in the tooth these days, so... (laughs) But those are our first two picks. So what do you guys got? Okay. Uh, do you want to start us off? I'm going to defer to you, Joe, the guest of okay. honor this evening. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wipe you guys out. Not with any words, but just a sound effect. <laughs> oh. <Thank you. laughs> uh, yeah. Law and Order started in September, uh, September 13th of, two th- of 1990. Uh, it was on for 20 years. It tied Gunsmoke for the... Longest running live action series of all time. It actually technically ranks higher because the first six seasons of Gunsmoke were actually half hour episodes, whereas uh, uh, they've all been an hour on Law and Order. They've been nominated for 202 awards in that 20 seasons. Uh, I'm just you name it, like your Emmys, your Peabody's, your Golden Globes, all across the gamut. You've seen every possible actor on that i was just scrolling through their imdb today and it was just 
megastar after megastar in even just single episodes. And you've got people like J.K. Simmons who are in 45 episodes. And you have, obviously, your Sam Waterston and your uh, uh, Chris Noth and... Uh, oh, my God. Anthony Anderson. Say... <laughs> No, I'm not no, going to say no, it. Oh my God! You said Anthony Anderson over the. Oh yeah, God. I, I, I don't want to make you mad. Fine, fine, Del- fine. I, Delta Burke, there. Nah, oh. God, All right, I'll give you his character name, and you tell me who it is. Mm-hmm. The best detective to ever be on Law and Order, Lenny Briscoe. I know, and you know what? His name is escaping me right now, but I do. Know oh my God! <laughs> he put baby in the corner. He put baby in a corner. I know that. I know who he is. I just I just can't think of his name right now, and I didn't write it's it It's Jerry motherfucking Orbach. That's the okay? one. <laughs> Jeez. That's the, one. Oh, the popcorn guy. I'm, right. I'm, I'm a Michael Moriarty <laughs> guy myself. Michael Moriarty is the bomb. <laughs> See, I actually, and I know the story, too, of the fact that he like donated his eyes after he died and stuff like this. Like, I know everything about him. It's just his name completely now, escaped me. Now, Joe, do they have yeah. law and order in Canada? Oh, we've got the best law and the best order. Now, are are the police officers much nicer on your version of Law and Order? Are they more polite? <laughs> Generally speaking, I don't know. I my favorite my favorite like dirty cop story happened not too far from me, right? Because I live fairly close to the border. It was a couple of cops who were caught uh, uh, smuggling cheese over the border because mm, it's cheaper over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, just there's dirty assholes. I hope they got what coming to them. Cheese mules. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, you. You hear ridiculous stories, no different than anywhere else. Just maybe not as frequent. Miscast commentary, a real-time movie commentary podcast featuring two best friends since they were children. Joe Findlay. It is the most crooked eye. It's almost like it's trying to learn how to be an eye from the other eye. So he's just like job shadowing. And Todd Murray. Brought to you by Ark of the Covenant. Nine out of ten dermatologists said, Ah! Ah! My face is melting! Catch new episodes every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Alright, so what was your pick again? <laughs> I think I was saying something about the wrestling and the free bird. Oh, no. Uh, Law and Order, the debut, September oh, 13th. Alright, anyway, Bo, what do you do, got, Do man? you know they also did Law and Order United Kingdom, and it ran for eight seasons, but nobody has ever watched it. There's actually been a bunch of different spinoffs other than SVU and Criminal Intent. Uh, they had a New York or they had an L.A. one. New York one is the obvious, the regular one. And then they had a true crime one. They've been spinning that thing off forever, so much to the point where SVU is entering its 20th season and looks to overtake uh, the original Law & Order as the longest running show. Which wow. is sad because once Stabler left that show, it just went to shit. Yeah. And it's still on. You've still oh, got yeah. Ice-T stating... The fucking obvious at every single turn <laughs> while looking confused, that show is still gold. I'm sorry. You telling me there's still people out there trying to rape? <laughs> <laughs> also, also the fact that the opening blurb of that show uses the words particularly heinous. I love that. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Are considered like one particularly heinous. <laughs> I love that. It's my favorite bit. All right. I want to hear what Bo has, because that, that's just a man. Well, gentlemen, this is kind of an obscure pick. It's uh, flying in a little bit under the radar. Kind of had to dig deep for this one. But a little little sitcom that aired on NBC beginning September 10th of 1990. Uh, it stars a young stallion by the name of William Smith. 
better known by his stage name as Will Smith, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Uh, mm, we all know. We all know. It's about a, a fine young stud who's sent to move with his uh, wealthy aunt and uncle in their Bel Air mansion after getting to a fight in his hometown. His mom got scared. She said, "You're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air," and uh, that's that's pretty much the premise. Series ran for six seasons, aired 148 episodes, lots of crossovers, including some with Blossom. Some might remember that little that little ditty. How could you forget? Yay! A, a timeless crossover with the Patti LaBelle sitcom Out All Night, which I think is uh, probably the pinnacle in television achievement. <laughs> Many celebrity cameos, Oprah, Hugh Hefner, Donald Trump, Chris Rock, Regis Philbin, Don Cheadle, and rap superstar Heavy D appeared on the program at one point. That was Sinbad. <laughs> no, you're thinking of that genie movie, but but pretty close. Oh, that's right. The clothes were all the same. Uh, the show's still in syndication to this day, so it's uh, there's a lot of places you'll run into where people know every word of that theme song. Evidently, in some of the syndication, they've cut the intro theme song, like the full version, and they just do the instrumental for like oh, so many little... seconds. Yeah. Sometimes you'll see the extended one too, though. There's an extra verse in it. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's and I know I know most of the lyrics to that. <laughs> When I meet those people, I publicly shun them. No. <laughs> <laughs> those two picks are amazing. And one thing I want to point out, like Mark just said, I feel like we got the hangover from the 70s. Yeah. And you guys got the cocaine hangover of the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board for in that. 1990. I'll give you one thing, though. One thing that did air in uh, September of 1980, Cosmos, the original Carl Sagan miniseries, yeah. aired in and around that time. Yeah. It's something. Yeah. I heard of I heard of that. Online. <laughs> Nothing was going to win with television, and that's why we went with television first. <laughs> I hear you. But what does John have to well, say? Well, it's interesting because the whole theory I have on decades and, and what's – I think this is the earliest – years that i have presided over as judge uh so far yeah is that a decade is normally normally begins to become like uh iconic or identified with certain things about midway through like the 70s bleed into the 80s at the beginning of the 80s fashions music uh tv various other stuff like if you watch shogun now you, you look at it and you go oh this was a 70s tv show right it doesn't you know um, right. and, and in the same way that the 80s sort of bleed into the 90s uh, for the first few years, especially when you look at like some of the you look at Scream now, for example, or even some of the, the um, late uh, early 90s horror movies, especially some of the sequels and things that came out. You'd swear they were 80s films. So there is that bleed crossover thing. So it's interesting. It's almost like we're doing end of the 70s and, and end of the 80s this this week. So it will be interesting to see who comes out on top. Of course, in this particular televisual battle, uh, I have to side with the almighty uh, 90s uh, uh Joe Bo Nixon, I'm afraid. Uh, Law and Order um, is a particular weak spot for me. Uh, love that show, uh, as does my lady. She watches SVU all the time. In fact, I can always tell when she's like, oh, I'm going to go to bed early and just put something on. And I always know that within about 10 minutes, I'll hear the dung dung or the <laughs> particularly heinous uh, of the uh, intro of svu so and my wife does the same thing nothing like sleeping to sexual assault yeah it's fantastic i love it because then i can come in and it doesn't matter what episode it's on or what season it's from i can dive right in marishka hargate is going to be wandering around being all like 
uh, uh, holier than thou and, uh, you know, clean, clean cut as clean cut can be. Um, if you're lo- lucky, you'll have Chris Maloney actually being good uh, <laughs> and, and raising the uh, stakes. Um, and you'll have iced tea, as I said, looking confused, state and the bleeding obvious, and then wandering <laughs> off. Um, so yeah, that, that's S for you, of course. But the original Law and Order, also a huge big fan, big Michael Moriarty fan, big Sam Watterson fan. So uh, uh, I got to give it to the 90s guys. But I have to say, Shogun, it was a good call. It's a great miniseries. People should check it out. I don't know how much it it holds up now, but it's sort of the uh, redheaded stepchild a little bit to uh, Kung Fu, David Carradine's Kung <laughs> yeah. Fu. But it, but Richard Chamberlain had his own thing going, and uh, uh, bless him for it. Uh, the other thing, the wrestling thing, um, I can't speak to it personally. Uh, as you say, you gave it a good shot, Man Crush, with the whole it established rules and things like that. But uh, ultimately, I don't care. Um, and it's <laughs> and uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, yeah, apart from the utterly irritating theme song and the really non-existent premise, really, it's meant to be like what guy from the wrong side of the tracks comes to live with some posh people and like, what's the point of it? I don't really understand it. But yes, it was very uh, uh, kind of like House Guest with Sinbad, right? Sort of. Yeah, I guess so. If everybody um, from Philly got into a fight and got sent to their relatives, would Philly not just be an empty, like... <laughs> right. It would just be an empty town. Uh, in fact, like, most places... Does that show East. even work in England? Someone gets into a fight in yeah. Sussex and you got to move? Got and, into a no, tussle it wouldn't be, you know? it would, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be Sussex. Uh, in Sussex, <laughs> they might get a, a fight over whether they're having Earl Grey or whether they're having Lapsung Shushong. But no, uh, in uh, in England, it would be someone probably from either uh, Moss Side uh, in Liverpool uh, or Manchester, I forget which one it's in now. That sounds awful, doesn't it? But Moss Side is particularly dangerous. But so, or someone from Newcastle, someone from like a rough city, uh, of which there are plenty, or Birmingham, um, in England, gets sent to like the home counties, which is like Hampshire, Surrey, Sussex, uh, kind of the southern belt. They could get sent down there to the suburbs. That would work. Um, it's like fifteen minutes away, but you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean from Newcastle, it's about eight hours away. But yeah, it's, it would be like being it would be like being sent from I don't know Portland, Maine down to uh, down to New Detroit. York or down to Philly. Now let us not forget also though, in September of 1990 was the premiere of Cop Rock, which is of <laughs> course a crossover between Live PD and Glee. It was also the can- <laughs> it was also the cancellation of Cop Rock. <laughs> <laughs> so a double whammy for September 1990. We got to move on. We got to move. Where are you guys going? And uh, Joe, do you want to do movies? I'll start us off because I like yours better. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're going to start off. We're going to hopefully poke at some soft spots here with the late, great Carrie Fisher wrote a semi-autobiographical book called Postcards from the Edge, which became a movie in September 14th of 1990, starring four Oscar winners, two extra Oscar nominees, Got Meryl Streep, Shirley McLean, Gene Hackman, uh, Richard Dreyfus, Rob Reiner, Annette Benning, uh, Dennis Quaid, and Oliver Platt were in it. It received two Oscar nominations, got three Golden Globe nominations, both for Best Actress for uh, Meryl Streep. Uh, and this tells very closely uh, Carrie Fisher's life as an actress in recovery and how her mother, also a star in her own right, 
uh, was not maybe the most supportive person and the toxic relationship between them and between her and show business in general. So it was uh, quite an interesting one, and it was a really good look into Carrie Fisher, who, as a Star Wars fan... You like to look inside of Carrie Fisher? If I, when given the opportunity, <laughs> yes, I'll give I'll give a peek inside Mark Hamill too if the if the opportunity comes up. Just like the goddamn Sarlacc pit. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly where Bo's going here because I'm sure we posted it today to the Dueling Decades Facebook page. Yes, a uh, little uh, little gem called Howard the Duck. No. Um... <laughs> I'll hear no words against Howard the Duck. <laughs> it's a fucking fantastic movie. I'm going oh. a totally opposite direction. It's the only movie that's ever made bestiality hot. I'm just going to put that out there. I don't know about that. I don't that. know. Even when they're not talking about it, it's still kind of hot. Yeah. Leah Thompson <laughs> yeah. could make me want to fuck a duck. <laughs> <laughs> Leah Thompson now or Leah Thompson Listen, Leah Thompson anytime, man. I don't judge. <laughs> Wait, I do judge. I do judge. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, Bo. So where are you really going? Actually released on this day in 1990, an American crime film directed by Martin Scorsese, an adaptation of a 1986 nonfiction book, Wise Guy, by Nicholas Pileggi, or Pileggi, or whatever, uh, some dude named Nicholas. Anyway, uh, Goodfellas. Yeah, it's Mitch Pileggi's brother. Sure. Yeah. Uh, why not? Uh, the film narrates the rise and fall of mob associate Henry Hill and his friends and family from 1955 to 1980. The film has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, lots of critical acclaim. In his review for the uh, Chicago Sun-Times, Roger Ebert, that old douche, wrote, quote, No finer film has ever been made about organized crime, not even The Godfather. Uh, in his review for the Chicago Tribune, Gene Siskel said, of All the performances are first-rate. Pesci stands out, though, his uh, with his seemingly unscripted manner. Goodfellas is easily one of the year's best films. Film uh, nominated for six Oscars. Pesci won for Best Supporting Actor, five Golden Globe nominations. Lots of other uh, accolades achieved as well. So, Goodfellas, September 19th, 1990. Shocker. Yeah. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> no one's ever seen that movie. Nobody. All right. Let, yeah. Let's go before John gets into it, because we'll we'll give you your uh, your base after you hear all four, because I know he gets into it with movies. So. <laughs> Definitely. I'm ready. I'm ready. So already, there's so much wrong with this already, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Mark, do you want to go first with yours? Well, for my pick, I'm going to go with the 1980 winner for Best Picture, and that is Ordinary People. September of 1980, slim month for movies, but we lucked out. Ordinary People, starring Donald Sutherland, Mary Tyler Moore, Judd Hirsch, won Best Picture at the 1981 Academy Awards. And this film marked a directorial debut for a Mr. Robert Redford, who reportedly wanted to direct his entire career, finally got the opportunity, and took scale for his base pay on this, which at the time was about $53,000 which is the Director's Guild minimum wage, basically. Um, so this movie, again, it had won 19 awards and was nominated for another 14 as well. Uh, so that's where I had to go with it. Ordinary People, September of 1980, directed by the one and only Mr. Robert Redford. Right. And that, didn't that, that got uh, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor. It won like four Oscars, right? 
Yeah, it was. Like I didn't want to list them all, but yes, of course, it won best picture, best actor, best director, best writing, and then at the Golden Globes, best motion picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and uh, best new star, Timothy Hutton, who also won the best actor for supporting role. I mean, so again, much like we see in every few years, you see a movie, whether it's Titanic or whatever, that just cleans houses. This was one of those years, 1980 with ordinary people. All right. And uh, all right. For mine, in a sneak peek on Friday, September 12th, 1980, we got to witness the best New York Jets quarterback to ever live. (laughs) And I'm not talking about Joe Namath. I'm talking about the Jets quarterback that saved the entire universe, not just a planet, not a state, not a game, the universe. And I'm talking Flash Gordon. Uh, fun thing about the sneak peek, uh, and this can only happen in 1980, was that they never mention what the movie is. The ads that were out in the newspapers, which I have a clipping for, say, Earthlings, I am Ming the Merciless, and I command you to attend a spectacular major studio sneak preview tonight at 8 p.m. No way. No way you could do that, you know, no. and ever since the internet, you cannot do that, um, and people got to see a gem because as a kid, I love this movie and I love it as an adult too. And that's not just because Sam Jones got to play a New York Jets quarterback. It's just one of those guilty pleasure movies. It's good versus evil. You know, then on top of that, it had amazing set design, outrageous costumes, especially for 1980. The effects were good. They were ahead of their time. You know, you had the flying Hawkmen battle, which is epic. It's and if you've seen the movie 300, it's almost a, a ripoff. Of the Hawkman battle. Yeah. You know, the same, uh, like, cartoon background, uh, the same thing that he comes out of his mouth about going into battle. You know, and then on top of that, how amazing is this movie? It has Queen do the entire soundtrack, <laughs> and it's credited as Queen's ninth studio album. So how can you not think of Flash, Flash. Ah, Savior of the Universe? You know, g- great movie. Uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, and again, they had the hero. It, you know they didn't take themselves seriously when they had the hero of the film as the New York Jets quarterback, for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, perfect throwback to uh, the original 30s cartoon. And since uh, Bo brought up Roger Ebert, he actually gave this one a three out of four, which for him is outlandish uh, for a movie like this. Also, Flash Gordon and Ming's daughter in in the spacecraft a very early version of Posh and Bex, I feel. Anyone else feel uh, that? No. I try not to think too much about that. Or <laughs> no, neither do I. I hate. The, I, <laughs> I, I hate them both. I just. I have to throw this out there just because uh, Lloyd Kaufman is a poop culture Hall of Famer. Uh, the movie Mother's Day was also released September nineteenth, nineteen eighty. I'm not submitting this one as one of our picks, but I have to throw it out there. And out of the sixty three movies that Roger Ebert gave a zero to, this was one of those movies. Yeah, it's just it's one of those. If you're into those exploitation movies, revenge exploitation, uh, you can watch it on YouTube on Troma's channel. Uh, I believe it's free. So go over to there. He's a poop culture hall of famer. I got to throw that out there. It would be blasphemy if I didn't mention it. I I was going to mention it, but yes, fantastic pick as well. Mother's Day also came out in 1980. The Empire Strikes Back featuring Carrie Fisher. Oh, man, I'd love to know more about her life. Oh, yeah. Postcards (laughs) from the edge in 1990. Go check it out. (laughs) <laughs> well, that wasn't in September, though. No, no I know. Wasn't. I'm just 
just reminding you. No, you're muddying the water there, Joe, and already (laughs) I'm moving away from you. It's a Um, point of reference. (laughs) Flash Gordon, of course, also stars uh, future James Bond, Timothy Dalton, one of my personal favorite James Bonds of all time. My favorite James Bond of all time, hands down. And uh, Brian Blessed as the aforementioned uh, Hawkman, uh, who has that fantastic line, who wants to live forever? Yes. Which is just incredible. <laughs> Tell me that they didn't steal that shit in 300. Yeah, of course they did. Dive! He's amazing. <laughs> I love Brian Blessed. He talks like this. He's incredible. Brian Blessed is one of my favorites of all time. Flash How would you like to be John Cross's neighbor right fantastic. now? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my neighbor has parties on a Friday and a Saturday night. Keeps me awake, so don't worry about it. Um, plus, everyone should be uh, treated to my Brian Blessed imp- impression at least once in a Dive! <laughs> Who wants to live forever? <laughs> he's amazing. Um, he's also like a, a national treasure in England. Like, Brian Blessed is just the man. Oh my goodness. Okay, 80s and 90s movies. This is so hard. This is so difficult. This really mm. is very, very difficult because... Tell me how hard it is. Well, because, I mean, I, I unadulteratedly love, love, love Flash Gordon. I really do love Flash Gordon. But... It's it's really difficult to put it up against uh, uh, Goodfellas, I think, uh, in most people's minds. Now, the second choice is um, for for both teams. uh, I, I, you know, I mean, yes, they won lots of Oscars and blah 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 blah, and Carrie Fisher and things like that. But Postcards from the Edge, Ordinary People, honestly, is anyone going back and watching those films at any point ever? Uh, Probably not. I mean, some people might, but probably not. Not me, anyway. So, for me, this is all about Goodfellas versus Flash Gordon, which makes it even harder. Um, other other movies you could have paired uh, with Flash Gordon in the 80s, The Exterminator, the wonderful yeah. James Glickenhouse movie, The Exterminator, <laughs> starring Robert Ginty, uh, one of my favorite all-time taxi driver ripoffs. Um, <laughs> you've also got uh, the fantastic Super Fuzz, uh, which is <laughs> a wonderful... Terence Hill, Ernest Borgnine movie uh, that I suggest everyone go out and see. Uh, you also have Blood Beach, uh, another yes. fantastic exploitation film. But really, if you had paired it up with The Exterminator and Flash Gordon, um, then I, I think I probably would have sided with the 80s. Let's just see quickly then uh, what the 1990s also had in store for us in September. Uh, we had the uh, Exorcist uh, parody, Repossessed. Uh, starring original uh, uh, cast member Linda Blair, and uh, then slumming it Leslie Nielsen because he d- he'd done Naked Gun, he'd done Airplane, but now he's like, oh, what other ones can I do that are kind of ripping off those films? Repossessed, that was one. Slumber Party Massacre three, which is an absolute classic, but really the one that you missed out on in 1990 uh, from September 21st is Don't Tell Her It's Me. The Steve Gutenberg, <laughs> the Steve Gutenberg mullet biker movie with one of the greatest front covers of all time, which starts off apparently with Gus, who is a fat cartoonist who recently won a battle against cancer, which is explaining his boldness, but he's also lonely. Therefore, his caring sister tries to set him up with suitable women, but to, but to do so, she must turn him into an irresistible man. 
uh, and apparently that's uh, uh, Steve Gutenberg. So I would strongly suggest everyone check that out. Hey, John, before you go any further, when, yes. we, had, when we had really close ties like this before, like yes. where the judge can do it, what if we just throw out the top 10? Do you guys have your top 10 of the month, uh, top 10 movies? I don't, but I could probably find yeah, it. Yeah, if you guys pull up yours, I'll read you our top 10. They'll read you their top 10. Uh, top 10 from this month, like what was yeah, screening like, at the time? Yeah, whatever uh, box office. Uh, that's what when Mike was doing this, we had a couple that were super close. This is super, it's super difficult because do I go Goodfellas, which is obviously hugely respected, but or do I go Flash Gordon, which I super love? Um, other ones in the 90s, very quickly, Miller's Crossing and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Death Warrant. Um, as well as uh, softcore porn flick, Henry and June. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> uh, as well as hardware. Everyone forgot hardware, of course. That uh, Is that also of... softcore porn? It is. Hardware <laughs> is also softcore porn. Memphis Bell uh, came out. Uh, Pacific Heights. I have to say, though, overall, if I was going to go with one month versus the other month, it would probably be... Like, if I could only live in... September of 1990 or September of 1980, it would probably be September of 1990, just based on all the other films that came out. It's wow. because of Death Warrant? Is that what it is? Oh, it's because, well, it's just because <laughs> of the accumulative effect. I'd get to see some softcore porn. I'd get to see some Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'd get to see some Coen brothers at the top of their game. Uh, I'd get to see Goodfellas. I'd get to see Texasville. I'd get to see Hardware. I'd get to see Memphis Bell. Pacific Heights. It's it's you know, and there's also way more movies came out in September of 1990 than came out in September of 1980s. Yeah, you know what? That's the one difficult thing with September 1980 is there were a lot of September 1980 releases, but I guess for whatever reason, probably because of the actor strike, they decided to do a lot of sneak peeks that month. So there were other movies that like Flash Gordon just flashed for a day and they didn't come out for a couple months. Uh, I just hate we, to turn my back on Flash Gordon, but well, here, I might have just to. Base, if you need to base it on the top 10, this, this is what we got for top 10. This is mid-month, September 1980. Uh, okay. We had Smokey and the Bandit 2. Now, these are uh, all gro top grossing. Uh, Empire right. Strikes Back at 2. Airplane at 3. Xanadu at 4. My oh, Bodyguard, great flick at 5. Uh, Octagon at 6. The Big Brawl, another good one with uh, Jack Chan at 7. Dressed to Kill, which I just watched last night again. Great movie with Michael Caine. Number eight, number nine, Prom Night, and ten, Caddyshack. Wow. So wait a minute. Oct Octagon as in Chuck Norris Octagon? Yes, Chuck Norris the Octagon. That was in the top ten movies? Wow. Yeah, it, somehow it grossed uh, six most mid-September. Wow. The power of Chuck. The power of Chuck. Um, and of course, Michael Caine wearing a dress killing people in New York. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> spoiler oh yeah sorry fuck i just spoiled a 40 year old movie <laughs> uh, I, I do have the top 10 here for uh, september of nine of 90 it was goodfellas number one postcards from the edge number two pacific heights number three death warrant number four narrow margin five funny about love six hardware seven miller's crossing eight i come in peace nine and king of new york is 10th all right, without further ado, you got to make, make a choice right here. That's it. Mm. We need a judge's ruling. 
I'm going to go 1990. I'm going to go 1990, guys. So sorry. So sorry. I'm going to go 1990. I apologize. Mark started to celebrate and then realized. (laughs) No, I wasn't celebrating. (laughs) I was like, I'm so sorry. And I'll explain why. Their two picks were number one and number two in the top 10. Their two picks were like, that's, that's the closest I could get. Like, they picked two movies that were at the top 10, plus the rest of the top 10 were pretty solid. So. Goddamn postcards from the edge. You can't beat that. <laughs> All right. So let's move on. You guys you guys get to pick again. You're up two to zero. All righty. Mm. Um uh, you want to try that hot items out? Yeah, let's uh let's go ahead and burn that bridge. Get it out of the way. <laughs> the Nintendo Interstate Entertainment System was a video game console, popular at the time. Uh and there was a popular franchise called Mega Man. And September of 1990 was the release of Mega Man 3, which is considered uh, on some on a lot of lists and considered by it was an article in IGN as one of the best sequels that NES has ever produced. Uh, it was the introduction of uh, characters that still live on to this day, 20 Mega Man games later, uh, Russian Proto Man. It was the invention of the Mega Man slide uh, that didn't appear in the first two games. And it, so it changed the gameplay and it was in a time when they could have just been lazy and put out a game similar to Mega Man one and two. They sought to improve on the franchise and it was a rousing success. Arousing or it was, well, I mean, it really depends on <laughs> how you some. feel about robots. There was some, uh, mention prior to the beginning of this recording of what my microphone looks like to you guys. And... <laughs> mega man gives me a mega hard oh, one. All right. So mega man, <laughs> mega man two, three, no mega man three. Oh, mega man three. Yeah. All right. So the second one, third one, third, all second right. sequel, which are always good. All right, Bo, what do you got? Uh, just for the record, I said, let's burn this bridge because I absolutely fucking hate this category every time. Uh, it's hard to find any specific, uh, you know, months and years when a particular product kind of dropped. Uh, so I had to, I had to choose just some random shit because everything was either right before or right after September of 1990. So, uh, I kind of went with the catalog, the Christmas catalog selections and popular at the time, were uh, WWF Hasbro action figures. Now, you can get just about uh, any wrestler that you could dream of. They also had, uh, you know, wrestling rings that you could get. Uh, these are like huge collector's items now. Uh, I think they go for a pretty pretty decent chunk of money, but these were definitely one of the hot holiday items of 1990. So I chose that because it was either that or the invention of Kid Cuisine, uh, or graphing calculators, which were apparently very huge. Uh, the Texas Instruments TI-81, the OG, was released in 1990. Whoa, so, you get one, uh, man. You get one. I'm you just telling one. you the other pool I had to choose Lloyd from. Lloyd Kaufman didn't come out with your graphing calculators. So I'm you must going stop. with the WWF Hasbro action figures. Although, Final Bo, answer. I might have to call you up at a later date because that uh, calculator talk was uh, making me hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I want mean, you I to. No, I want you to talk I got about no plans this weekend. Yeah, uh, just we can, call we me up talk and about talk about the uh, graphing calculators. That's what yeah. I, I want to hear who else's hide, hot item can write boobs upside down. Yeah, <laughs> five eight oh oh eight, baby, all day. 
Hey, fellow poopers, Mark and the Man Crush here, and we are excited to once again be partnered with BioBidet. This time, to tell you about the new Slim Zero, the world's most innovative toilet seat. Now you can redefine your bathroom experience with the ultimate bathroom upgrade, featuring an easy DIY install. Experience for yourself why water does it better. The Slim Zero toilet seat is the first non-electric toilet seat to feature a nightlight, bidet functionality, a slow closing lid, and more. Say goodbye to toilet paper and say hello to a cleaner, healthier pooper. Check out the new Slim Zero today on Indiegogo and at biobidet.com. Man Crush, you want to start this one out? Yeah, sure. Um, I know how John doesn't like when I rattle off about old technology. Uh, <laughs> but he this, just said he loves graphing calculators. <laughs> Listen, I love a good graphing calculator, but when Man Crush gets in <laughs> on some minutiae of some like little technological advancement, then if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have toaster ovens today or some. It just goes on and on. <laughs> All right. Well, this one was too monumental to pass up. That said, I'll make it short and I'll keep it in, in, in layman's terms here. All right. On uh, September 30th, 1980, a publication was put out by Digital Equipment Corporation, Intel and Xerox. And that was titled the Ethernet, a local area network, data link layer, and physical layer specifications. So what does this document provide us with, you ask? Uh, how's this for simple? You know that little cable at work that connects your computer to the wall and it kind of looks a little bigger than a phone jack? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. This, the same one that we've been using for the past 38 some odd years. <laughs> that is what you call Ethernet. Uh, it took over for some other technologies that were proprietary at the time. Uh, of course, they've adapted technology over the years to uh, increase the bandwidth requirements over the years and whatnot. But Ethernet, September 30th, 1980. Without it, we would not have office technology that we had for the past 38 years. I'll so it's it a that. cable then? It It is actually the networking topography that went on. But I'm not going to go through all that. It's too much okay. information. <laughs> Just to make it easy, it comes that's what lengths. we've been using for the past 38 years. All right, Ethernet, got it. Cable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and for my pick, I am so excited I get to talk about this one because this is something that, as a hot product, is something that I've always wanted and was never able to acquire, although I have read it many times, and that is Uncanny X-Men number 137, and of course, that is the very famous issue of the death of Jean Grey. Um, this issue is pivotal in the Marvel universe and in the X-Men universe because it is the first truly epic tale. Uh, Marvel's editor-in-chief Jim Shooter came out publicly and said that this is the biggest comic event in the last decade. And if you think of at the time, all the other characters that had been introduced at the time, you had Wolverine and all the other big X-Men characters, but no. This brought all of them together in the most epic storyline. And the way this ended, it, they killed off Jean Grey. Spoilers, she kills herself. That is the first time that a character had been killed off in panel since Bucky Barnes. But that was later retconned. So this is the first time they really killed the character off on a panel. And it was a major beloved character. If you're wondering if this is still relevant, of course, Marvel is coming out with the X-Men Dark Phoenix movie, which basically retells this story 
and that should be out in theaters in the next year. So yeah. just to check then, uh, it's okay. I mean, obviously, we've had computer games and computer characters and various other stuff in this uh, category previously, but it's okay to have comic books in this category? Yeah, that's, we, that's... we actually um, we had Mar- Marvel versus DC uh, crossover back okay. in, uh, I don't know, like February or something. So it's happened okay. before. It's, that's all right. No, no, I was just saying, not, not trying to discount it, Mark, cause, uh, uh, but I was just trying to check. because Basically what this uh, boils down to, this category, anything you can purchase that came out that month that was hot. Oh, right. Because so, right. I, I had a book in mind, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> if it was a popular book. I always look out for Harry Potters. Yes. Oh, yeah. I just haven't hit it yet. <laughs> We had, yeah, we had Stephen King's The Stand. Wow. Okay. Well, unfortunately, you didn't go for that. Um, <laughs> if you want to pick it, you have to read the whole thing cover to cover. Those are the rules. So you got five minutes. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're setting micro machines, guys. Then you have to declare your allegiance um, to me and to me only by saying my life for you, my life for you over and over again. Bumpity bump. I already cut I already cut your name into my arm the way you asked. Yes, thank you. That's that's why I demand. You put um, J O H N though. Yeah, no. I was, <laughs> well, I, I I owe something to John Stamos too and I'm trying to cover a lot of bases at once. You can <laughs> All right. So, before Man Crush's hair turns all white here, what's our ruling? Uh well, I don't think I can discount uh, the Ethernet, even though, you know, it's really just a cable. Uh, I kept it, it short. It clearly, it. Is, it clearly is monumental in terms of the fact that we're all sat here now uh, on the internet. We all use it at work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the Ethernet is huge. Um, also, uh, I, I don't know uh, much about either Mega Man or wrestling, so... <laughs> Uh, that falls down. Also, if it was the original Mega Man, I think that would have been more important. But a Mega Man sequel to me feels less important than like the Ethernet. Um, in terms of uh, Death of Jean Grey, uh, sure, fine, whatever. But I think that <laughs> <laughs> it's got no. Listen, for people for 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 people who are very much into the X Men, I'm sure it was a monumental hot ticket item um but i'm gonna go with the 80s purely based um also because i feel like i was very mean to man crush last time he tried to do some (laughs) bit of technology thing and i feel like making it up to him now uh because at least the ethernet is something i've heard of before and he didn't go into some sort of long rambling last one was on a remote control Yeah, it was some made-up thing no one had ever heard of. (laughs) So I'm going to go... Dude, I'm giving it to you. Don't fight with the jerk. I'm I'm giving you the 80s. Um, Although, yeah, the wrestling Hasbro action figures, I I do actually have a friend who uh, deals in retro toys. And, uh, yeah, those are are big ticket items now. But uh, Ethernet wins every time, guys. 80s has got to take one home today. Come on, 80s. Here we go. All right. I do like the way that uh, you threw out the Mega Man 3 and tried to sell it up. I, I respect that, <laughs> I but Joe, I'm sorry. No, it's all good. It was number three. It was. But number one in our hearts. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how I would have done it. Joe, sure. you will always remain number one in my heart. <laughs> uh, Mark, you want to go music next? I mean, it doesn't make a difference, but you want to just go music? Sure. We'll finish up with news. Okay. All right, we'll go music, and you know what, Man Crush? I'll start us off on this one, because in 1980, an album came out that 
I have a soft spot for, and I know someone else who is a regular here on Dueling Decades, Mr. Mike Ranger, has a huge soft spot for. And that was the debut album by a rapper by the name of Mr. Curtis Blow, who was the first rapper to ever be signed to a major label. And uh, he released his debut album with the song The Breaks in September of 1980. And of course, that was a huge monumental success for Mr. Curtis Blow and for hip-hop, really, because when you think about it, if The Breaks and that album wasn't a success, then the record industry would never have taken a chance on other hip-hop acts. So, and still, to this day, they call it it's one of the top 10 hip-hop albums of all time and one of the most influential as well as the different beats off the album have been sampled many, many times throughout the years. So, got to go with the staple of hip-hop, the godfather himself, Mr. Curtis Blow, and his song, The Breaks. That's for my pick for music. You can't deny that guitar hook, man. And the steel drums and the bridge, come on. Yeah, the song has got, for a even for like a hip-hop song, early hip-hop, this, it's got such a funky, like, 70s groove to it yeah. that even if you don't like hip-hop, you still liked this song, and that's what was so important about it, is it opened up a whole new audience to this style of music. Right. Good pick. I like All it. All right. What do you got, Man Crush? <laughs> All right. My musical choice comes by the way of a band that featured a major star and basically got its name on accident. All right. So as the story goes, on September 20th, 1980, uh, we had the release of Blizzard of Oz by Ozzy Osbourne. It was actually supposed to be by the band Blizzard of Oz. Apparently, Blizzard of Oz was supposed to be in a big font on the cover of the record with Ozzy Osbourne in a small font. However, the record company completely flipped the two around, and Ozzy Osbourne was bigger than Blizzard of Oz. And because of that, you got the debut solo album of Ozzy Osbourne. The album went on to sell roughly 6 million copies worldwide, uh, produced probably the most classic song from the album, most notably, it would be Crazy Train to this day. You know, you can hear that all the time on the radio and at pretty much every sporting event. I was just at the Jets game on Sunday, and I probably counted 10 times. I heard, I, 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 <laughs> you know, so it's a monumental song. Uh, the album also features superb stylings of Randy Rhodes, who, of course, died in a plane crash right after the second Ozzy album. Uh, at 25 years old, the dude was a dynamo on the guitar uh, still today, people credit him as a major influence. And he was the one that told Ozzy in this thing. And I, I'm not a big, I don't play guitar, but Bo maybe could talk to this better. But he said that uh, all metal songs at that point were played in A&E. And he wanted to do something different. And uh, he was a major influence in that. And that they didn't do that. They did something different. Uh, one little interesting thing, I'll, I'll just throw this out there. After this album came out. And uh, after their second album, which was Diary of a Madman, came out in uh, 1981, Sharon Osbourne, who was actually at the time was, uh, I think it was his fiance, it wasn't they weren't married. I forgot what her. I think her last name was Arden at the time. She fired the drummer and the bassist, which really pissed off Randy Rhodes, and he was just about to quit the band prior to that tour. Well, when he died in that plane accident, which is a whole different story, which is a crazy story. He would never have been on that plane if he quit the band. That's pretty nuts. What's nuts is his name is Randy Rhodes. The, the album has Crazy Train on it. 
but he died in a plane crash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Driven, which was flown by the bus driver. What? The tour what? bus driver. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's why a- you never let bus drivers who fly was your high plane. on coke. No, dude, that story the- is fucking crazy. Listen, everyone was high on coke. It was you know, September you know of 1980. Randy Rhodes, they they I don't know what they tested because like the the plane exploded and the, him and the uh the makeup artist went through the windshield of the plane. They crashed into a tree, split it in half. So I don't know what they, they uh, tested, but they said the only thing in his system was nicotine at the time. So he was pretty straight edge as it came, I guess, um, at least on that night. They probably but found that... his liver hanging from a tree or something. And they <laughs> I, don't took know how, home. I don't know how they did, especially in 1980. Uh, <laughs> but as the story went, I'll just tell it real quick. Uh, basically, this guy, I can't remember his name, but he was the, the tour bus driver who had a plane license at one point and it came out after the crash and he was in another accident years before, like six years before that, that killed people in that accident as well. And, uh, he flown uh, a couple people from the band and then Randy Rhodes and the, uh, the makeup artist were on the next plane and they, they took the trip with this guy and he was taking low, like, I don't know, just kind of trying to fly over the bus to scare the people in the bus. And on, the first pass, he did it, no problem. And then he went to try it again, and the wing clipped part of the bus, and they skidded and crashed into a tree, and that's everybody died. It's so he's doing insane. a flyby like in Top Gun. Flyby. He's buzzing the yeah. tower. Yep. Man, asshole move. <laughs> once you've once you've achieved it once, don't go back and try and do no, it yeah. a second exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, don't God. tempt fate. I bet you ten yeah. to one though his gravestone just says "worth it." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so those are our two picks. What do you guys got? All right, um, do you want to lead us off this time? Yeah, I'll start things off. Uh, Rick, you mentioned that there's a, a stadium anthem, stadium anthem involved with your pick. September twenty first, nineteen ninety, the twelfth studio album from ACDC, The Razor's Edge, is released. Uh, considered a major comeback for the band, largely thanks to that stadium anthem, Thunderstruck, which was on the album. Uh, also features Are You Ready, which uh, Thunderstruck reached number five. Are You Ready hit number 16. I didn't hear that on Sunday, by the way. But what, Are You Ready or Thunderstruck? Thunderstruck. Well, either way. Isn't that a Creed song? Are You Ready? Sure. Yeah. Why not? Uh, <laughs> album went multi-platinum. Five million copies sold. Reached the U.S. top 10. Album reached number two on the U.S. Billboard 200. Number four in the U.K. A huge commercial success that returned the band to the popularity of its glory years of the late 70s and 80s. The album has been certified five times platinum uh, in the U.S. There you go. The Razor's Edge, ACDC, September 21st, 1990. Wow. Good pick. All right. That is a good pick. Uh, my pick- It's not my favorite ACDC <laughs> album, but it's a, it's a solid album nonetheless. Can't argue with Thunderstruck, man. Sorry, Joe. Go right no, ahead. It's all good. But of all the ACD, ACDC albums, it's definitely the one that came out in September of 1990. <laughs> you know i wasn't sure Fact. about that at first but i think you're right I can't dispute it now that i've said it uh so mine i don't have a soft spot for this person as an artist nor as a canadian but i i recognize history i recognize game this uh september 11th of all days was the english singing debut uh, in the U.S. for Celine Dion in the release of her album Unison. 
It went platinum in the Ambien? US. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it can also be it can also be used as that as well. Um, it was her first ever English album. Uh, and it was her first ever release in the US for obvious reasons. And it was produced by David Foster. Uh, he, he also composed on it and uh, played piano on it. Uh, Randy Jackson of American Idol and other fame also played on that album. Uh, like I said, it went platinum in the US and it launched a rather gigantic career, which takes you everywhere from the Titanic soundtrack to, you know, a house, a house show in Vegas and everything in between. And being, I don't know, dog. I don't know, dog. Those yeah, right it's gonna me. be a no <laughs> for me, dog. <laughs> All right, over to the honorable John Cross. Well, 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 well. The Celine Dion bombshell was dropped, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Goodness me! Goodness me, Joe. That is dangerous waters to be <laughs> treading in with me, sir. Bringing up Dion like that, just wantonly. I do feel uh, his pain though, because that's how I felt last week when I had, or last month when I had to do Backstreet Boys. <laughs> no, but l- <laughs> listen, there were plenty of other fantastic <laughs> albums that came out in 1990 in September. Uh, let's not forget the Cactus Revisited by Third Base, or Boo Mania by Betty Boo. How did I forget any? Or, Wait, is that where Pop Goes the Weasel? Or Dear 23 by the Posies. Come on, who isn't still bopping to that little hit? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what about Room to Roam by the Waterboys? Come oh, on. Oh, that's a great song. It is, right? Uh, no, but we, in all seriousness, though, uh, I think we did Seriously Overlook came out the same day as the Cherry Celine Dion Pie. travesty. It's the soundtrack from Twin Peaks. How the hell do you overlook that? Anyway. I was going to say, uh, on the same day, Cherry Pie by Warrant yeah. dropped, too. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Cherry Pie by... And Dave Stewart and the Spiritual Cowboys. Come on now. Uh, <laughs> so many great uh, uh, albums released, and you had to go and drop Dion on us. Uh, instant uh, disqualification right there. Uh, <laughs> Uh, at least if you were going to go Canadian, you could see what the Tragically Hit were doing that week. They must have been doing something better than Dion was doing. Um, but anyway, but probably not as important to Americans because Americans were like, the Tragically Who? Anyway, um, the 80s, though, my goodness, September 1980. What stuff we had going on there. Uh, one of my favorite David Bowie albums comes out, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. Such a great, fantastic album. Uh, you have... Um, Oingo Boingo comes out with their song. Oingo Boingo, Oingo Boingo. <laughs> album comes out. Uh, you have Absolutely by Madness, another fucking great album. Uh, the Jacksons released Triumph. Uh, it, it, it wasn't a triumph, but they had released it anyway. <laughs> it was like their 16th album. I think that was their last album. Yeah, right. That was it, St- though, I think, right? Yeah. It should have been. It was. Cool, in the, <laughs> cool in the Gang was Celebrate. Uh, Stevie Wonder with Hotter Than July. Uh, Andy Gibb released the greatest hits. Who knew Andy Gibb's solo work had enough hits to be a greatest hit? They just played maybe, maybe, maybe that's a misspelling. Maybe that's meant to be greatest hit. No, they just played a that, third that's, of every That's maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm going to go with the 80s, uh, in case you haven't realized. I'm going to go with the 80s just because... Uh, 
Curtis Blow, you're right. Um, what a, uh, a forefather uh, to uh, that music. And uh, Blizzard of Oz, fantastic album. And like you say, um, begins uh, Ozzy's uh, solo path. Um, Mr. Crowley, the... too, which I didn't bring up. Yeah. Right. Indeed. Really great song. Indeed. Um, the ACD album, ACDC album, Razor's Edge, pretty good, pretty good. And certainly, as you say, a return to form uh, from their earlier work. Um, but I'm sorry, uh, uh, <laughs> Mr. Token Canadian, but uh, <laughs> Dion, man, what were you doing? I don't care how many awards she's won. I don't care how many millions of albums she sold. Get her off my planet. So, uh, <laughs> and I gave an equally harsh whipping to the Backstreet Boys when that was oh, he did. on the show. He definitely well. did. Um, I, don't, I don't bow to popularity here. I only bow to what I like. So <laughs> we're going to go with the 1980s, guys. Also, kill a month, September 1980, by all those albums, except Andy Gibbs. All right. And just to give a uh, quick score update for the listeners here, where are we at, John? We are at two for two. Mm. Right? Mm. We're actually at three. <laughs> 1980s have three. That was a two-point round. That's a two-point round? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're in round four. We're This is it. This is the last round. But this is a good one because last month, it was a Bo and I had a landslide going on. We almost had the shutout going into that final round. There wasn't much to play for. All the beans are on this last one now because either team can win it. It's three points to two. Two-point round. Whoever takes this takes it all. Where do you want to go with this one? So <laughs> many choices. I I, uh, I think we got to go with news. Do you, you sure? I'd rather go uh, with news. Yeah, let's just do it. Go with all news. right. So on September 23rd, 1980, a uh, semi-popular artist named Mr. Robert, or better known as Bob Marley, held the show in Pittsburgh with his band the Whalers. Um, and unfortunately, that concert proved to be Bob Marley's last public performance before his death just after the performance marley who was suffering from cancer that had spread to his brain collapsed and was taken to a hospital for the treatment um the rest of the tour was uh, was obviously canceled and marley dies on may 11th 1981 but this marked his final performance um the concert has been released uh you can check out the cd and its full recording the interesting thing of that is, of course, the concert was recorded by Bob Marley's people as a direct soundboard patch, but the tape ran out right before Get Up, Stand Up, which was his big final song. Oh. So his final song he ever sang in public was never on, was never recorded and held in the archives until it was discovered in the year 2000 um, by a taper who just showed up at the show and had good quality reels of it. So it has been restored on D on CD and you can listen to Barb Marley's final performance from September of 1980. And I've never heard that. I definitely should go. I'm a big fan of Bob Marley. I should go back and, and didn't he had his last album actually came out in 1980 as well. Didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And this was the, I mean, you could kind of call this the final album because it was the final live performance. But of course, they released so many albums after his death. Right. But you know, such a pivotal performance in the the hor in the storied career of Bob Marley. The last album had was that the one with Three Little Birds? Or was it? Uh, yeah, I think that was the nineteen eighty album. I think it had Three Little Birds. Three Little on. Birds. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I it's been a while since I checked it out. But all right, so uh, you know, 
our news stories uh, for this month, I think, are very impactful, uh, but both are very unfortunate. Uh, September 25th, 1980, John Bonham, the backbone of rock powerhouse Led Zeppelin, was found dead at the age of 32. And supposedly John Bonham had consumed around 40 shots of vodka the night prior and was found dead wow. the next afternoon at Jimmy Page's house, which uh, coincidentally he bought that same year from Michael Caine. Uh, not house. It was a freaking castle mansion. Uh, but by most accounts, uh, he drank those shots during the night, which was a rehearsal. And uh, they put him to bed after midnight. So 40 shots in five to six hours. It's pretty crazy. And they said they put him to bed. They laid him on his side. Of course, uh, he died of uh, asphyxiation. I'm sure he puked and choked on it. But uh, you know, we we talked about last month. It was either last month or the month before. Or she came up for two months. I don't remember. Uh, but the death of Princess Diana. And John kind of put that into perspective. You know, she was a princess. And, and what did she really change? And in this case, and what did she change with her death? You know, but in this case, his death it's tragic, of course, just his death, but you're also talking about the demise of perhaps the greatest rock band of all time, arguably. Bonham wasn't just the dude that was smashing the drums. He was the groove to all their songs, fast and slow. You know, and don't just take my word for it. Take the word of the bands, uh, because in December, they released a statement. Uh, we wish it to be known that the loss of our dear friend and deep respect we have for his family together with a deep sense of undivided harmony felt by ourselves and our manager have led us to decide we could no longer continue as we are. And they disbanded because of the death of John Bonham. So not only did John Bonham die, but Led Zeppelin did as well. God, he's so inconsiderate, you know, broke up Led Zeppelin. No one ever <laughs> shouts at him. They all shout at Yoko Ono about the Beatles, but no Too one ever soon. shouts at John Bonham. You Too know what soon. I mean? <laughs> Just the selfishness of some supposed people. Supposed to wait 39 years before you say something like that. Right, oh, yeah, shit, on. okay. <laughs> next, <laughs> next year. But yeah, that, would, that it was major. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that. that Because there were albums that came out after, you know, Cody came out in 1982. So a lot of people think that there was another album, maybe with another drummer. Those were all B-sides and other releases that they had with Bonham. And then, you know, they, they all went and did their own projects after that. And then, of course, when they got back together and did anything they had his son come in and, and play drums. So that was it. I mean, his death, that's the end of Led Zeppelin. All right. Over to John Cross for the final judgment. No, no, no. They haven't, uh, they haven't done their news yet. <laughs> Not so fast, Mark James. You know, I was just about to rule it in your favor and go home. I'm trying to delay the inevitable here. Come on. Mark's sitting over there. He's like, I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you pesky kids. <laughs> That was so much kids. funnier if you could see Bo's face while he did it as well. <laughs> Wonderful eye work there, Bo. Well, you know, I take my uh, cues from Abe Vigoda. <laughs> as we all should. <laughs> all right, Joe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fork it over to you for this. Uh, okay. Kick this one off here. Okay, um, we go back to September 11th. I wasn't obsessing or anything. It's just kind of the way it ended up being. Uh, hold on one second. I'm, my <laughs> mic's going out of control on this bloody recording. Okay, we'll Ooh. try that again. Oh, now we got some some uh, Joe Findlay ASMR going on here. Welcome back to Poop Culture NPR. Eating broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, anyways, I'll take you back to uh, to for September 11th, 1990. It's uh, another Bush on another September 11th. 
has a uh, televised speech where he warns the people of Iraq, and this speech actually aired live in Iraq, uncensored, which was not a common thing for television in Iraq, uh, warning uh, the Iraqi armies to remove themselves from Kuwait or they would be removed by force. Uh, This is only a few days after Saddam Hussein called for all Arabs to rise up against the West. And this is the the early aggressions that led towards the Gulf War. So, uh, you know, f- following this, uh, there was a tape sent from Saddam Hussein to the U.S., which was aired, and it was, you know, further aggressions coming back and forth this way. And then we know how the Gulf War turned out and got its own sequel with its own Bush son and all that sort of thing. Uh, so this was the beginnings of all of that. No, but b- both those wars were accomplished. We we won. The mission was accomplished. I wouldn't worry about it. We did great. <laughs> <laughs> we d- Thank you. We have a Brit and a Canadian. Who's the we here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Brit and the Canadian did great by going, hey, wait, I don't think they did 9-11. <laughs> Uh, the the British, sadly, in their way in both wars, uh, followed you guys valiantly yes, into battle. Uh, and and uh, I'll point own... out that they are ex- they, the UK's military is outstanding. They, they got are. to work with them hey, side by side. We were over Freak in guys. Afghanistan doing that thing that Canadians are great at going, hey, guys, over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to... Brought... Fu- we brought some band-aids and some poutine. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, poutine. So you don't want to kill each other. What's all that about? <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but you should come over here. Yes. Right. Can't we got some we all just, Come on yeah, over. Can't we all, can't we all just get care. along? We've got some kids in the hall VHS right. with us. Right. <laughs> Justin Bieber's being born. We have Celine Dion. Yeah. Stop wrecking Canada for me. Canada has... Look, Canada has... The, the tragedy here. We have Nickelback. The Toronto Maple Leafs. They have uh, Trailer Park Boys. They have Kids in the Hall. Stop bringing up Bieber and Dion. <laughs> they have Shatner. You're forgetting the best and most popular Canadian of all time. Avril What's Levine. That? No, Fuck that off. is Mr. Dave Coulier. <laughs> oh, see, okay, yeah, Dave cut Coulier. it out. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm more crushed than I thought I'd be that you didn't name me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to be able to let it go, no problem. And then it was like, oh. Joe, you're my second favorite Canadian after Chris Jericho. Oh, that's not, that's not too bad company. As long as I'm always yeah, slightly beating good. out Chris Benoit, I'm doing great. Oh. <laughs> you're it, just slightly below Michael J. Fox. Yeah, well, in, in your defense, uh, that's shaky. You're, but... the only, you're only the second Canadian <laughs> Bo knows besides Chris Jericho. Hey. <laughs> You know, you know what? I'm yeah. I, I'm fine. When when Bo goes out, he's like, I can't be racist. I know a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> he's not xenophobic. All right, right, Bo. What is your news? For the record, I love Owen Hart. Uh, let's see. My news is uh, <laughs> well, about falls from li- grace. Literally, it was the rest of his life. He was the blue blazer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. September 18th, 1990, the wheels are set in motion. It is chosen that Atlanta, Georgia will host the 1996 Summer Olympics, the centennial uh, edition, the 100th Summer Olympics. Uh, It was held July 19th to August 4th in Atlanta, record of 197 nations. Um, 
All current IOC member nations took part in the games, fielding a total of 10,318 athletes. Atlanta became the fifth American city to host the Olympic Games, the third to host the Summer Olympics. Um, let's see. The Olympiad's official theme, Summon the Heroes, was written by John Williams, which became the third uh, musical composition he made for the Olympics. The opening ceremony featured Celine Dion singing The Power of the Dream, the official theme song of the GD96 Olympics. Uh, preparations. So you were so close, <laughs> and then you mentioned Dion. Done. See, I told you we could skip them. No, wait, I can make it worse. I can make it worse. Hang on. There's a Bo bit. Is such a sadist. There is a bit from Jeff Foxworthy about Atlanta being chosen to host the 96 Olympics that is just absolutely astounding. If you can find it, listen to it, enjoy it. Uh, it's a little piece of my redneck past that I'll always cling to. What is it? <laughs> what does he say? Such a cliffhanger. If you think that triple jump is hopping over three huddle puddles of piss to get a beer, you might be a redneck. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm not going to say what it is. We need to get we need to get Foxworthy some streams, a little revenue this week. So I'm just going right. to task you with looking that up at some point this week. John Cross, dun dun, John Cross, <laughs> John Cross, Special Victims Unit. So let us look at this. Then we have celebrity deaths versus uh, the deaths of many in the Gulf War. Um, versus, uh, uh, there weren't people... very many deaths in the uh, the first Gulf War. I'll throw that out there. Not on our end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably a few deaths on the other end. I would imagine. Yeah, Touche. Like that used to be schools that would disagree. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I'm with my Canadian brethren here um, that we do care about children from all over the world, not just our own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and didn't wish any of the conflicts that we've had in the middle east um and then the other one is atlanta georgia hosts the 100th olympics that's a pretty that's a pretty big deal i guess the the 100th olympics that's a that's a, a pretty monumental thing shame it was in atlanta georgia really um <laughs> uh, no disrespect to anyone who might be from atlanta georgia but please stay there i never want to meet you um <laughs> And no, I'm kidding, uh, but it is a horrible, horrible place. Uh, what, what were you going to say, Joe? I was going to say, do you think that Steve Harvey just accidentally introduced Atlanta as the host? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think around that yes. time, Steve Definitely. Harvey was living on the streets of Atlanta. So. <laughs> yeah. Steve Harvey's mustache was banging several women in the Atlanta <laughs> metropolitan area. And, uh, he he owed them a favor, um, but you know Bob Marley, John Bonham, Led Zeppelin, the Whalers. That these are monumental figureheads. They're they're pop culture icons. They um, their music has influenced people uh, the world over. But has has their deaths influenced people the world over? That's the thing. Like the news story is their deaths. Now, obviously, you could argue that if they hadn't died, then they obviously would have gone on to make lots more music. But uh, is it is it better to uh, what is it blaze out than fade away or whatever the the phrase is? Better um, like is if, it? If you think about they, this, they, they were only twelve years deep at that point. He was thirty-two. Right, but imagine that's if a lot Paul more music. 
Imagine if Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr had been gunned down after Let It Be and Abbey Road came out. You know, we wouldn't have had any of that Wings music from the 80s, which would <laughs> well, have think, been Think about this. Let me positive. throw this out there. Let me, <laughs> let, me, let me throw this out. And it's just a thought I just had. Had he not died, and I, I know we're assuming a lot here, but had he not died and their rock music, which was dominant, and they were, you would... You would say, and I think most would, that they were the biggest players in the game at that point. Would we have glam rock to ruin? Well, no, I wouldn't say ruin, but maybe for musicians it ruined it. You know, like, do they want to dress in makeup and do all that that shit in the 80s? Would we go that route? So you could say that his death, it really is monumental because you don't know where that could have went and what that could have changed overall. It does save Led Zeppelin from going glam. You are right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, But it does mean that, you know, we didn't have to hear the whalers go pop. You know, that that would have been the way they would have gone. They would have done that. You know, uh, they would they would uh, have done some disco hits maybe they would have gone glam disco was they maybe over would man have gone, it was eighty it was nineteen eighty they would have gone done. there was listen ABBA was still putting out music don't even get me started on this uh, <laughs> we never got the hit. look they're Swedes they, though that don't count they would have started using synthesizers Bob Marley would have got a big old can of Aquanet you know? yeah he would have let his soul glow it would have been fantastic um, I'll put this to you. I'll put this to you. I'm 36 years old, and this is the best I'm putting out. So maybe 32 was the way to go. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I think you got a point there, Joe. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just – it's it's very difficult because uh, the, show is, the show was originally called Poop Culture. It's about poop culture. Uh, it's about pop culture, rather. And uh, Marley and Bonham, definitely high up there. But – the initial rumblings of the Iraq conflict that in many ways continues today. Um, and the Olympics, not least of which the 100th Olympics. Ah, I, I hate to do it, but that's... Can I also, that wait, can I, can I also throw this out there? The Middle East has been at war for thousands of years. Iraq was attacking Kuwait at the time. So what about the people in Kuwait? It's because the people of Kuwait are big Celine Dion fans. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just saying, like, if you're going to say that, oh, there was a lot of lives that that got lost in that war, there were lives that were being lost in Kuwait because of the Iraqis at that time. A life is a life is a life. Oh, yeah, no, no, I like, no, I listen, listen, I'm not debating that at all. I'm, I'm talking about if you're, if you're news, I'm not debating that at all. If your news story from September, 1990 is, the first rumblings of the Iraq war in terms of America wading into that conflict, rightly or wrongly, no judgments made. Um, and to some extent, the uh, aftermath of that and the continuation of that is still being felt today through a whole series of other things that makes that news story important and monumental, doesn't it? It's irrelevant what's kind of led to that. I'm just saying what that news story then leads to, what that speech that George Bush Sr. gave then leads to that we're still living in today. If I look at it personally, it was certainly the first, even though I'd lived through the Falklands, not that that was particularly anything, but um, it was the first war that had any impact on me and I was aware of 
you know, front page news and, and people talking about it and following it and aware of who the president was for the first time. And just, I don't know, like it was a, that first Iraqi conflict was a fairly big deal for all of us who were sort of coming of age in the 90s. I do have Desert Storm uh, trading cards if you want some. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this, suddenly got very, this suddenly got very serious, and I feel like I should yeah. just pick the 80s to stop this, uh, uh, this conversation. <laughs> but no, I'm just trying to... <laughs> I, I'm trying to... Wait. It's, it's a very difficult thing. Schwarzkopf would pick the 80s. On one thing, you, on one hand, you have two pop culture icons who totally 100% agree, very important that they passed away in, in terms of news stories. But the other two things you have, even if you take it as ongoing conflict in the Middle East from thousands of years ago to, to now, um, you have a stepping stone on that journey of conflict in the Middle East, and you have... The Olympics that had been at that point going on for a hundred years and still continuing today. As in which nobody watches. But it's still a <laughs> But when it's in the States, it's our time zone, so it's more and more likely to watch. <laughs> right. oh, that is true. <laughs> and, and when it's and when it's in Atlanta, when it's in in Atlanta, someone might get really drunk and moon someone or headbutt someone. So you or, know, we're really or uh, set off an explosion which happened at uh, the nineteen ninety six Atlanta Olympics. I'm not going to win either way with this. I'm not going. There's no way to win with this. There's no way to win. I've annoyed and upset you set everybody at this point. by your by your votes because whatever you say now, we will bring back and be like, remember that time that you said this? So you, this is a lot. This is a lot on your shoulders. He's right putting now. a lot on you because he does is. not want to lose. <laughs> right? Listen, if I didn't, I would not be trying. <laughs> okay, That's how about this, do. man crush? How about this? Earlier on in the show, we said that the early 80s are sort of like the end of the 70s. And we said that the early 90s are sort of like the end of the 80s. And we always love it on this show when the 80s win. So technically, a win for 1990 would be sort of a win for the 80s. It's like kissing your sister. That doesn't work. Here it is. Yeah, you're the judge. You, you pick. Let's go down to John Cross. For the final decision. Of course, the judge's final decision. Well, it's final here on Dueling Decades. So, John Cross, lay the hammer down. Hey, guys. Mark James here, and I wanted to talk to you about a problem that plagues us all. And that's... Stink dick. You know, nothing turns off your partner more than a condom that smells like sour rubber. Glide has eliminated the unpleasant odor with their clean formula, which is also non-toxic and certified vegan. So if the only meat she eats is yours, then you're in luck, my friend. Glide condoms are made for men and loved by women because they are non-toxic and do not cause irritation. The only thing you want roughing up your woman's poon is you. And guys, Glide condoms come in three sizes. Slim fit tight, ultra standard, which is made for most men, and maxi, you know, that's for the unicorns. Wearing the right condom size matters when it comes to pleasure and performance for both partners. So check out Glide Condoms, that's G-L-Y-D-E, at GlideAmerica.com. And now use promo code CULTURE for 20% off your first order. Oh, fuck it. Let's go 1980s oh. with Bob Marley and John Bonham's. <laughs> 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 and I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'm sorry, guys. I'll tell you why. I'm looking down here at the notes that I make. And, and two things jumped out about the 1990s. 
One, George Bush Sr., the other one, Atlanta, Georgia. I'm sorry. Uh, and Celine Dion. Oh, what the fuck? What the fuck this whole time? Celine, Celine Dion sang the opening ceremony. Fuck, no. Right. I done. should have just pointed that out from the beginning. Uh, the whole time, I didn't want to bring it up. I didn't want to say anything, but, you know, your bias for Celine Dion totally went overlooked until just that moment. <laughs> Plus, I'm sorry. I had to end it on a controversial level. Guys, I couldn't. There was no way I could win, right? I couldn't, either, either one, I was going to, so the only way I could get out of this is if I ended it on a fuck it, Hail Mary bombshell, no one was seeing it coming twist at the end. So I'm sorry about that. All right. You know, John Cross says he can't win either way, but fortunately, the audience, you guys win when it always comes down to the 80s versus the 90s. But on this individual battle, Team 80s, the Mama Lukes, we squeaked out of victory. Or did we? Continue oh, to the debate close. online. Head over to our Facebook page, and you can join the Dueling Decades group and talk about it there. I was going to say, and if you go talk about it on the Dueling Decades Facebook page, I will come and tell you exactly why you're wrong <laughs> and use lots of flowery British swear words. And that is all the, re all the more reason why you should join the Dueling Decades Facebook group, because you get to interact not only with us, but with John Cross, and he'll put you in your place just like he does to us. That's right. And come watch a watch party with us. We've already done three three different movies, so come by. Who knows? One night we'll throw one on. Come watch with us. Yeah, I mean, the Dueling Decades community, it's really growing to much more than the show, and we want to thank all the listeners for continuing to support the show. But until next time, fellow poopers, we're going to send you out with a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a great week, everybody. Infirmary Media.